This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's the first day of summer, January or January, June the twenty-first, two thousand and twenty-three. Summer officially comes in at ten twenty-seven this morning. Uh, it is actually kind of a chilly day for the first day of summer here. And temperatures are only supposed to be in the uh, mid-70s today. More rain coming in. I hope the weather is better where you are. Uh, we've had a couple of inches of rain in the last few days and uh, a lot more expected today and tomorrow. Hey, some good news, I guess, or some hopeful news, I should say, on the uh, submarine that was lost, the submersible that was lost in the Atlantic Ocean that was going down to uh, survey the wreck of the Titanic. It went down on Sunday about an hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes after it left its support vessel. It was not heard from again. Uh, but uh, Canadian military aircraft dropped uh, some sonar buoys yesterday. And word is is that they heard uh, what they heard, said was some banging. And it seemed to be happening every 30 minutes. Now, there's no guarantee that's what it is, um, but uh, obviously the U.S. and uh, the Canadian militaries have uh, rushed more assets to the area uh, where this noise was heard. Uh, you know, look, here's the deal. There's hope that it's from the submarine. We really don't know that. But even if it is from the submarine, if it is down as far as the Titanic wreckage is, which is between twelve and 13,000 feet, the chances of getting them back up safely uh, are very slim. There's not a lot of technology to try to get them back up. And, and here's the other part of this, as I looked more into it yesterday. That submersible has seven different backup systems to return it to the surface. Like including like sandbags, it's got big these big lead pipes that drop off. There's also an inflatable balloon. Uh, one of the systems is designed to work even if everybody on the submarine is unconscious. So if they've been down there since Sunday and they haven't been seen on the surface, um, and none of these backup systems have worked, and some of these are mechanical systems. You know, it's not like they even need to have power for them to work. If they haven't come back up with one of these safety features, that probably means that the submarine is somehow trapped or caught underneath something and can't get out. So even if they find them, the depth aside, uh, if they're trapped under something, it, it may be impossible to get them out. I, I mean, I can't even imagine what the families are going through. But, I mean, look, there's a ray of hope. I guess that's all we can we can 
do right now is continue to pray. Uh, their oxygen is scheduled to run out. They said they have about four days' worth of oxygen, so their their oxygen will run out uh, sometime uh, tomorrow morning around 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, you know. It, it, and it would be a Hollywood ending, right? I mean, if they find these guys, they find that submarine, this is a movie written, has movie written all over it. Um and and there's still hope. I mean, they heard the banging. There's no guarantee that's what it is. But there's also some hope that maybe they're still on the surface bobbing around somewhere. But, you know, the other part of it is they have um, a couple of communication systems. One of them uh, is like a, it's basically like text messages that went back and forth to the surface ship. And then they have safety pings that are emitted every 15 minutes that indicate whether the sub is still working. Now, if they've lost all power and they're bobbing on the surface, then those obviously wouldn't work. So, I, you know, we'll see. But uh, a slim ray of hope this morning. And, uh, and again, that's kind of all we can, uh, we can count on right now. So uh, we'll see what happens with, there, with that. Uh, of course, the other news yesterday that came down was about uh, Hunter Biden uh, striking a plea deal with the federal government for tax and gun charges. And, of course, the Republicans have lost their ever-loving minds, and they're immediately like, well, this is, you know, uh, a double standard. And, you know, obviously if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat and you're the son of the president, you get off, you know, with a what they call a traffic ticket. These cases are not even close to the same, you know. And, and look, here's the deal. He's going to plead guilty to having failed to pay federal income taxes in 2017 and 2018, uh, which amounted to about $200,000. And supposedly he's already paid a a good chunk of that back, had done that, I think, in 2021 or something like that. Uh, So some of it's already been paid back. Um, And so, you know, it's no different than anybody else that, you know, you don't pay your taxes, you know, you're going to get caught. The difference with Hunter Biden is he got caught because it was a probe into what he was doing. Uh, you and I could probably not file our taxes for 10 years before they'd finally figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's the part of it. The other part of it is, is that he bought a pistol. Uh, and on the, sheet for the background check, he lied because part of the background check uh, is, are you a drug user? And he said no. And of course, at the time that he bought it, he was hooked on crack cocaine. So he lied on that. And the, the other part about this is, is he never used it for a crime and you know anything like that. And supposedly he only had the thing for about two weeks because his girlfriend threw the thing into a dumpster, got rid of it. Um, so, you know, look, did he lie? Ab- did he do something wrong? Absolutely. Should he be held accountable? Absolutely. And he's going to be. He's probably not going to go to jail. He's probably going to get probation, you know, unless the judge decides differently. But the, uh, uh, the Justice Department is going to recommend probation. So, again, but the judge could change, you know, could could send him to jail, but it's highly unlikely. But here's where this is night and day. And, and the, for, the, for the Republicans to come out and say 
that this is a double standard is just, I mean, come on. He didn't pay his taxes, which is against the law. I get it. You know, he lied on a, on a, on a permit for a gun app, for a gun. It's against the law. I get it. What he didn't do was take top secret and classified information home and then share it with other people and try to obstruct justice by when the, uh, the Justice Department and National Archives tried to come get these documents, he didn't even turn them all over. He tried to hide them, tried to keep some of them. So this isn't even remotely in the same ballpark. One guy didn't pay his taxes, and the other guy played with national security. Because he's Donald Trump and he can do whatever he wants. It's not the same thing. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that you have people like Kevin McCarthy and Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis and all these other people saying, well, see, you know, it's it's just, a, you know, it's, it's a double standard. And the problem is, is that a lot of these people that voted for Donald Trump have the intelligence of pocket lint. And they're going to buy the fact that it's a double standard. That it's, uh, you know, uh, this is all about the, the Joe Biden coming to, trying to take down Donald Trump so he won't lose the next election. Come on. Anybody with a scintilla of intelligence knows that these are not remotely the same thing. You know, and look, Republicans have their own investigation going on, looking at Hunter Biden's business dealings, including the fact that he used to work for a Ukrainian uh, gas company. But, you know, there were, this was looked into earlier, and nothing was ever found. Right? I mean, you know... Th- the Republicans are going to try to find, they're going to dig as deep as they can dig to try to find something. But this is not the same. Look, if Hunter Biden had been found of colluding with a foreign government or sharing intelligence information with the foreign government, that would be a, then it would be a double standard. But this is simply not paying your taxes. And I don't know about you. But I'd be more concerned whether somebody is giving our nation secrets to somebody else or to somebody that doesn't have any reason to, to, to have them than I am about somebody not paying their taxes. But that's just me. Maybe you feel differently. <laughs> but God almighty, to, to listen to these, uh, to these Republicans say this stuff is incredible. And, you know, and, and the other part of this that bugs me is that remember when Donald Trump was running for president and he was killing Hillary Clinton, you know, about he's going to make laws tough, you know, about t- taking care of our national securities. He's going to toughen up the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the penalties for that. And we can't be having somebody running for president that, uh, that doesn't know how to take care of our national security. This is all the things he said about Hillary Clinton. But suddenly... When it's Donald Trump, oh, wait, oh, wait, you know, I'm different. I was talking about her. 
I'm different because I'm better. I'm, you know, I'm smarter than she is. It's no different. And if you, you know what? And if you are going to ha- hold Hillary Clinton to that standard that you supp- said you were going to, why shouldn't you be held to that same standard? I think that's a fair question, don't you? And to have him the other day in this interview with Fox News say, well, you know, I just didn't give it back because it was in with a bunch of other stuff and I needed time to go through it. And it was in with golf shirts and golf shirts. Come on. Even Fox News is killing him. Even Fox News was challenging him saying, really? That's when you know things are bad. So, you know, uh, I think this was a smart move on Hunter Biden's part because if he if he tried to fight this, this was going to make things a lot more difficult for his father and for the Democratic Party and everything. And at the end of the day, Hunter Biden doesn't have a leg to stand on. He's guilty. You didn't pay your taxes and you lied on a, on a permit application. It's cut and dried. But it shouldn't mean jail time. You didn't try to hide you know, uh, millions of dollars that you owed the federal government. It was a couple of hundred grand. I knew, It's a lot of money to you and me. You know, and <laughs> he, he lied on the, the, uh, the gun permit. Hell, he might have been high as hell when he did it. Doesn't make it right. And maybe, maybe he should serve some time for that. We can debate that part of it. But at the end of the day, he didn't try to give our national secrets away. And that's all I'm going to say about it. So we'll stay tuned. It's, but uh, anyway, just keep praying for those folks on the submersible. We gotta, we gotta hope that that uh, they can, uh, they're found alive. But obviously, I think the the chances are very, very slim. And uh, every moment that goes by uh, makes it less and less likely. Um, before we get to the results of yesterday's uh, baseball games, uh, some kind of cool news: um, Major League Baseball announced that the St. Louis Cardinals. And the San Francisco Giants are going to play a game next season at the oldest professional ballpark in the United States. It's called Rickwood Field. It's in Birmingham, Alabama. And it was the home of the Negro League's Birmingham Black Barons. And uh, the Black Barons played there from 1924 to 1960. Matter of fact, it was the the, uh, home for the final Negro League World Series, which was played in October of 1948. That's why the Homestead Grays actually beat the Black Barons in that final World Series. And one of the things that's significant about this is the Black Barons, one of the the players on the Black Barons in that final uh, World Series in the Negro Leagues, was Willie Mays, and which is really cool. Willie Mays is the oldest living Hall of Famer, and uh, he played for the Black Barons for in 1948 before starting his legendary career with the then New York Giants. Of course, then went to the San Francisco Giants, and then later in his career he played for the New York Mets. Um, but Willie Mays is uh, in his mid or, or late 80s, I believe. And uh, like he said, it was it has been seventy five years since I played for them, and the fact the fact that they're going to go back and play a game there is going to be pretty cool. 
Uh, it's going to be nationally broadcast on Fox. It's a 7 o'clock at night games. Uh, the Giants and the Cardinals are both, both going to wear period uniforms um, that will honor both San Francisco's and uh, St. Louis's Negro League histories. Uh, they're going to do some renovations to the ballpark, uh, obviously, to uh, to help make it uh, uh, get a few more fans in there, make it safer. Uh, it's going to be done between Major League Baseball, the city of Birmingham. Uh, just cool. I think it's it's great. I mean, and of course, the last few years they've had uh, the Field of Dreams game uh, in Iowa, where the uh, the movie was filmed, and uh, they're taking a, a year, a couple of years off from doing that to make some renovations to that ballpark. But they're going to return there eventually. But uh, I think this is outstanding, and it's going to be played on in Ju- on June twentieth of twenty twenty four, my dad's birthday. Um, but it's obviously going to be done around the Juneteenth celebrations and uh, uh, honor the Negro Leagues, and obviously Willie Mays, who uh, hopefully will still be with us uh, come June of next year. Uh, but I, I think this is uh, phenomenal. And look, when you look at some of the people that played at that field, I mean Henry Henry Aaron played there. Uh, Negro League greats like Cool Papa Bell and Oscar Charleston, Josh Gibson, you know, Buck Leonard, they all played there. Satchel Paige, Frank Robinson, Jackie Robinson, Babe Ruth played there, for goodness sake. Uh, there's also a minor league team in uh, Birmingham now that's called the Birmingham Barons, and uh, they're going to play a minor league game there a couple of days before this major league game. Uh, and the the Birmingham Barons, the minor league team, have been playing at Rickwood Field since 1910. So this field is very very old. I think it's I think it's going to be a a great event. And uh, you know, look, uh, I have a lot of problems with some of the things that Rob Manfred has done as commissioner, uh, but I think this um, I think this is appropriate, and I think it is one of the greatest things he ever did. I think one of the things that's great about baseball and I think this is true in baseball more than any other sport I think that that's but that baseball honors its history and we talk more about the history of baseball than we do about any other sport we don't talk a lot about you know what happened in the NFL in the 20s and 30s and 40s or the NBA, you know, or, or the NHL. We just don't. But in baseball, how often are we bringing up the names of people like Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth and Honus Wagner, you know, and, and Walter Johnson and all the great people that played? Uh, it's done all the time. There is a sense of history with baseball that, we don't have in other sports. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons I got drawn to baseball so much because I'm not only am I a sports fan, but I am a history nerd. You know, I have a huge military history uh, library uh, books and I have, uh, I subscribe to, I think, four or five history magazines, archaeology magazines, National Geographic history. I have World War II digest that I get. I mean, I'm just a – look, I'm a history nerd. There's no question about it. But I think that might be part of the reason why baseball has always attracted me so much is because they honor the history and it's constantly talked about. So uh, I I think this is uh, a a great, great thing that Major League Baseball is going to be doing. All right, let's get to uh, last night's games. Uh, the Red Sox pick up their sixth straight victory last night. 
They are now four games over 500. They're st- and, you know, this is, this is what's amazing. They're still in last place. And you want to talk history? Right now, what, hap- what is happening in the American League East right now is historic. We have never had a, an entire division finish over 500. Now, obviously, early in baseball, there were no there was the American League and the National League, and they weren't separated out into divisions. But since divisional play began, we have never had an entire division be over 500 for an entire season. And I would venture to say that it is close to a certainty. And we still have a long way to go. We're 75 games into it. You know, we still have, what, uh, 87 games to go. Um, but I would say that it is almost a certainty that the American League East is going to have everybody over 500. The Red Sox are in last place. They have a 527 winning percentage. You know, and the Minnesota Twins, on the other hand, the team that the Red Sox beat 10 to 4 last night, have a winning percentage of 486. They're 36 and 38, and they're in first place in the in the AL Central. The Red Sox last place record right now would have them in first place in the Central Division. It would also have them in first place in the Central Division of the National League. You know, the, you know this is they'd be in third place um, in the NL West. They'd be in second place or third place in the AL West. I mean, it's just, you know, you just up and down. The, what the Red Sox are doing and being in last place is incredible. Six straight wins. Game and a half out of a playoff spot in last place. Um, That's incredible. And look, you know, there is a possibility. It's not likely, but there is a possibility that all the wild card teams will come from the American League East. I would say there's a, a decent chance of that. I mean, right now, uh, Baltimore sits in second place. They're in the wild card. The Yankees are in third place. They're right now in wild card position. And the other wild card slot right now is held by the Angels, who are 41 and 34, but the Red Sox are a game and a half behind them. So, you know, and, and the Toronto's a game behind them. So what they're doing is incredible. And last night's game was was fun. It was a, a pretty good pitcher's duel for the first three innings. And Cutter Crawford was uh, the best that he has been as a starter. He had been great out of the bullpen, but he had struggled as a starter with an ERA of over seven. Last night he pitches five shutout innings. Strikes out five, doesn't walk anybody. Picks up his second win of the season. Uh, Bailey Ober was good for the first few innings. Uh, and then all of a sudden he gave, gave up a couple of home runs. Adam Duvall with a blast went 426 to dead center. When he hit it, I didn't think it was going out. I thought it was going to be a fly ball to deep center. And uh, matter of fact, the announcers didn't think it was going out either. And uh, then a couple of batters later, Christian Arroyo does the same thing. It was his third homer of the year. Christian Arroyo wasn't even supposed to be in the game last night. He was scheduled to have the night off. But 20 minutes before the game, Pablo Reyes, who was supposed to start at shortstop, 
had some abdominal soreness after taking infield, and they're not sure what's going on with him. He's day-to-day. But So 20 minutes before the game, they throw Christian Arroyo in the game. So you're in. Arroyo responded by going five for five. He had five hits. He had never had more than three hits in a game in his in his career. He had five hits, four runs batted in last night. And, uh, you know, Masha Yoshida hit a home run uh, that was one of the longest home runs the Red Sox had ever hit in uh, the Twins' new stadium. It was longer than the one David Ortiz hit there several years ago. This thing was an absolute blast. 400 and, I don't know, 47 feet. His eighth home run of the year. He he hadn't hit a home run in like two weeks. No, actually three weeks. And the Red Sox led 10-0. 10-0. Then they they brought Corey Kluber in, and Kluber did his best to try to give the game away. Pitched three innings, gave up five hits and four runs. Gave up uh, three home runs in the game. He has now given up a ridiculous amount of home runs. In uh, 55 innings, he's given up 17 home runs. He's given up an average of two and a half home runs for every nine innings that he pitches. Uh, which, by the way, would be the worst in Red Sox history. <laughs> uh, and you wonder if Corey Kluber may have thrown his last pitch for the Red Sox. And, you know, and I don't wish that on anybody, but he's 37 years old. They had to take him out of the starting rotation because he was so bad. You know, they brought him into the bullpen. He's been even worse out of the bullpen than his, than he was as a starter. And if you're the Red Sox, I know you're paying him $10 million, but at this point, you know, you can't bring him into a game. You brought him into a 10-0 game last night, and suddenly it's 10-4 to in the ninth inning, and you got to get somebody else up in the bullpen because you're worried that he could give this thing away completely. So, I mean, I, you know, Corey Kluber's had a nice career, and he's a, you know, a Massachusetts guy, and, and, and I'd like to see him, you know, finish out his career in Boston. But I, if you're Heim Bloom, and you're Alex Cora. Isn't it time to just say enough? I mean, it's got to be one of the young kids from AAA's got to be better than this, right? You know, it doesn't mean that you go out and, you know, sign another pitcher or trade for another pitcher. Just bring up another young kid because he's got to be better than what we're getting out of Corey Kluber. And I felt bad for Corey Kluber. When you watched him last night, you know, you could just see it's like – I wanted to, I, I did, I wanted to, I, I just, I didn't want to cry, but I felt so badly for the guy. You know, a guy who's won a couple of Cy Youngs, who was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball when he was with Cleveland, you know, and then suffered some injuries and was basically, you know, didn't pitch for a couple of years, pitched pretty well for, you know, Tampa last year. He was an average kind of pitcher, ERA in the low fours, threw a lot of innings, but he doesn't have it anymore. And I think it's just time. I think it's just time to, to call it a career. And, and, uh, and, and I think if you're the Red Sox, you have to move on. And if, you're, and if you're Corey Kluber, there's probably a part of you that almost wishes the Red Sox would pull the plug and put you out of your misery. you know, And, and then take the rest of the year off. Figure out whether you still want to try to play and then see if anybody else wants to try to, you know, to sign you. But, if you you know, it's a, it was a one-year deal 
So, you know, sometimes they just don't work out. So you take your lumps and you move on. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But you just, it just, my heart broke for him because it's just a hell of a way uh, to watch a guy go out. It's kind of like, you know, I remember Jim Rice, who's in the Hall of Fame for the Red Sox, was one of my favorite players when, you know, he came up. And watching Jim Rice at the end of his career, you know, when he just didn't have it anymore, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. You know, which is why I think we're a lot of, a lot of people, uh, as, as athletes start getting older, you say, you know, this guy should retire. And I don't think it's a case of, of being mean. I think it's maybe for, maybe for me and some other people, it's a case of we don't want to watch them fail, right? We've watched them excel for so long in their careers. We don't want to watch the train wreck that often, that often careers become as athletes age, you know? Uh, so I, I hope, you know, I hope that, uh, I mean, I hope he's going to pitch better, but I don't think that's going to happen. We've, he's had several opportunities out of the bullpen and it just continues to get worse. So if you're Boston, you've got to make a decision here pretty soon. Um, Alex Verdugo just one hit for the Red Sox last night, but he's still hitting 301. But the reason I bring that up is, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Alex Cora sat Alex Verdugo as punishment because he wasn't running hard on the bases and he just he didn't like the way that the 27-year-old the kid was playing. So he sat him down and basically said to him, hey, I want we got to have better effort than that. And Verdugo was, you know, he wasn't happy about it, but he also said that he understood where Cora was coming from. Well, ever since they've done that, Cora, I mean, uh, Verdugo has gone nuts. Since that benching, he has hit 395. He's got seven straight games up until last night. He had seven straight games where he had reached base multiple times. I mean, he's he's having the best year of his career. He's hitting 301. His on-base percentage is like... 375, you know, he's playing better defense in right field than he ever has. He's running the bases well. Um, you know, he's only got a couple more years. I think he's got, well, next year I think is the last year on his contract, and Red Sox are going to have a decision to make. But if they're going to get this kind of effort out of him, and if it, if it took, you know, Alex Cora benching this kid to get his attention, that might be the best move that Alex Cora has made uh, all season. Uh, the Red Sox also announced that Tanner Hauku got hit in the face uh, on a ball against the Yankees on Friday, is going to be having surgery. It was determined he has a facial fracture. They're going to do surgery next week to insert a plate uh, over his uh, right eye, or underneath his right eye where the fracture uh, took place. They are confident that he's going to pitch again this year. Uh, look, they're lucky that it missed his eye. And uh, so don't know for how long, but you can. he's probably going to be out for at least a month. The closest we can come, uh, Chris Bassett back in 2001 when he was pitching for the A's uh, suffered a broken cheekbone on a line drive. He underwent surgery, 
and he was back in the lineup a month later after surgery. Now they, you know, they capped his innings at only three innings, but you know, we don't know what they'll do with Hauk as far as the innings go. But you know, if if there's if what happened to Chris Bassett's any indication, uh, it means that uh, Tanner Hauk is probably another 30 days out that the Red Sox are going to have to figure out uh, what they're going to do. And they still have to figure that out, right? Because they've got a game today. Uh, Brian Bayo's going to pitch. But then they've got to figure out what they're going to do on Thursday. It's going to be another, you know, Johnny Allstaff kind of game. You know, are they going to bring somebody up from the minors? What are they going to do? They still have a missing spot in that starting rotation. Do they take Nick Pavetta out of the bullpen and put him back into the rotation where he and Corey Kluber were until they both stunk so bad they had to get him out? Pavetta's been great out of the bullpen, but maybe they bring him and put him back in the rotation just because they don't have a better option right now. If they do that, that may mean that uh, that Kluber sticks around because they're going to need a bulk innings guy, even if it's a even if it's <laughs> if it's subpar uh, out of that bullpen. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, they still have some decisions to make. But uh, hopefully Tanner Houck will be back in uh, 30 days. It is 39 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 41 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. So the Yankees win yesterday. They beat the Seattle Mariners uh, 3-1. to uh, Pretty good uh, pitching matchup yesterday between uh, Garrett Cole and uh, George Kirby. Both uh, pitchers pitched into the eighth inning. Kirby gave up three runs in seven innings. Uh, Cole went seven and a third, four hits, one run, struck out eight, walk one. Uh, but really what people are talking about this morning uh, is on social media. There was uh, clips last night of Garrett Cole uh, after striking out a uh, Seattle batter wagging his finger. at uh, A lot of people thought it was at Jose Caballero, who he had just struck out. Uh, turns out he was actually wagging his finger at Scott Service, the manager for Seattle. Now, what set all this up? was Caballero, between pitches, was stepping out repeatedly. You know, look, here's the thing. With the new pitch clock rules, right, when uh, the, the batter has to be in the batter's box, facing the pitcher, looking at the pitcher within eight seconds, so after the pitch is thrown, Caballero was like stepping out and walking around and then stepping back in just at the eight-second mark and looking at Cole. He never did anything wrong. He was following the rules. Was he taking more time than most batters do? Yeah, but so what? He was doing things within the rule. Well, uh, Garrett Cole took exception to that. You know, uh, he took a called strike with two outs in the seventh inning, and then he was, you know, he was walked over to the kind of the edge of the batting circle and then back into the batter's box, and, and again, was in there in time, fouls off the next pitch, walks around again, returns, and then uh, then called his timeout, which he, which he is allowed. Each batter is allowed one timeout in at bat, the same way a pitcher can do the same thing. Well, Cole didn't like the fact that he was walking around and then calling the timeout. So he throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball 
like 10 feet over his head as a warning, like, hey, don't be a jerk. And then he throws the next pitch, a 3-2 pitch, and he strikes him out. And then as he's walking off the mound, he turns to the Mariners' dugout, wagging his index finger over and over and over again. Uh, supposedly, service and the bench were yelling things at, at Cole. And, uh, you know, he was just saying, hey, don't mess with me. Now, you know, people were like, you know, eating that up on social media because it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, it was controversial and people thought it was great. But here's the deal. Garrett Cole was 100% wrong here. You know, Yankee fans may not want to hear this, but Jose Caballero did absolutely nothing wrong. He was following the rules with the new pitch clock, you know, so get over it. You know, and there's a lot of older pitchers, guys like, you know, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander who have made it known that they're not fans of this new pitch clock. Well, get over it. It's the rule. There is absolutely no reason for, you know, Garrett Cole to throw a pitch 10 feet over a guy's head because you're pissed off because he steps out of the batter's box, walks over to the the on-deck circle, and then back to the batter's box, but is still in there in time. The kid's done nothing wrong. And as Scott Service said afterwards, he said, look, he said he plays by the rules. He gets in there at time. He said, you know, people might not think it's right, but he's done that since he's been in the league. He's not going to change how he plays just because Garrett Cole doesn't like it. Right? I mean, so, and the Yankee fans ate it up. They gave, you know, Cole gets a standing ovation when he comes off. and But Garrett Cole was wrong, period. You know, maybe the, you know maybe he doesn't like the fact that, uh, you know, the game only took two hours and nine minutes. Maybe he likes to be at the ballpark for three and a half hours. I don't know. But he needs to get over that. It's the pitch clock, and if people are following the rules – then he's got no right to do what he did. And I know it was 10 feet over his head, but you still threw the ball over his head, at his head. But the Yankees win, and uh, they still sit in third place in the AL East. They're nine and a half games back, and they've still lost six of their last 10 games. So... Uh, the two teams will play again today. It'll be Luis Castillo, who is the ace of the Mariners' staff, 2.73 ERA, uh, although he's lost three straight starts. First time he's done that since uh, September of 2021. And then the Yankees are going to call up Johnny Brito from AAA Scranton Wilkesbury to make his first big league start since uh, May 20th. Uh, so you'd have to think advantage Mariners. And again, you know, the Yankees, one of the things they did last night that they have to be happy about is they won a game without Aaron Judge. Uh, the news is is that Aaron Judge's toe, he got a, uh, a, a platelet-rich uh, injection into his uh, ligament, of one of the ligaments of his toe, and it seems to be responding. Uh, he had kind of, his, his recovery had kind of plateaued, and, you know, there, it was a very rare injury that he had. It's something you see, you see more in football players than you do uh, in baseball players, but he did it banging, you know, going, basically going through a wall. Uh, making a catch uh, out in Los Angeles. So, uh, uh, and the Yankees have really struggled without Aaron Judge. I think they're 10 and 14 without him in the lineup. So they got a rare win with them uh, without him last night. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles 
did everybody else in the American League East a favor last night? They beat the first place Tampa Bay Rays 8-6 to last night. Look, they built a 7-0 lead. Damn near let it get away. Tampa scored two in the fifth and four in the sixth uh, to make it 7-6. Uh, but then they get a, another run in the eighth, and uh, the Orioles hang on to win this thing 8-6. to uh, Tyler Glass now making uh, uh, his third start since coming off the injured list wasn't very good. Uh, Kyle Bradish... Pitched five strong innings, eight strikeouts, only allowed two runs. Uh, bullpen did its best to give it away, but uh, good job. Bautista picks up his 20th save, getting the final uh, four outs of the game, striking out two batters along the way. So the uh, Rays lose just their eighth loss of the season at home. They now have a four-game lead uh, over the Orioles, who have won seven of the last ten. And the story really for the Orioles and, you know, you have to laugh. We were just talking about the Yankees, how they've struggled without Aaron Judge. The Yankees had Aaron Hicks, right? Aaron Hicks was terrible for them. He was hitting 188. Well, they released him. And uh, after he cleared waivers, the Baltimore Orioles picked him up. Since being released by the Yankees, he has three home runs and seven extra base hits in 17 games for the Orioles. He had one homer and three extra base hits in 28 games for the Yankees. He's hitting 340 since he joined the Orioles in 17 games compared to the 188 he hit for the Yankees. <laughs> Think the Yankees could use that right now? Uh, the uh, Rays and Orioles will continue their series tonight. It'll be Tyler Wells pitching for Baltimore, and uh, Taj Bradley will get the start for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. The Blue Jays win yesterday. They beat the Miami Marlins uh, by a final of two to nothing. A uh, cooling off of the Marlins a little bit. The Marlins uh, had been pretty hot, but uh, Yusei Kikuchi six shutout innings for Toronto. Uh, Yuri Perez six shutout innings for Miami. Uh, this game went all the way down into the eighth inning before Toronto finally uh, comes up with a couple of runs. Ernie Clement and George Springer with consecutive RBI singles in the eighth inning to uh, give the Blue Jays the 2-0 victory. Jordan Romano picked up his 21st save of the season for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. So with the loss, Miami now five and a half back of the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. Uh, Toronto still sits in fourth place in the uh, AL East, uh, ten and a half back of the Rays, and only a half a game ahead of the Red Sox, who, as I said, sit in last place in the AL East. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 52 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. A few minutes left here on the first day of summer of 2023. Uh, the Astros and the Mets le le uh, met last night. Justin Verlander going against his former team, the Astros, where he had excelled for so long. Uh, won a couple of Cy Youngs when he was with the Astros. Well, last night the Astros got the better of them. They beat the Mets 4-2 uh, to two last night. Verlander went seven innings, gave up uh, eight hits and four runs, struck out five. Uh, but Framber Valdez was better for the Astros last night. Eight innings, four hits, two runs, struck out nine with one walk. Picks up his seventh win of the season. Uh, Alex Bregman, the big shot for... Uh, Houston last night, a two-run home run. Uh, that was the difference in the game last night, and uh, the Mets lose 
And it'll be Christian Javier against Tyler McGill today as uh, that series uh, wraps up each team uh, taking a game and uh, the rubber game coming up here this evening. The Braves win last night. They beat the Phillies 4-2. to Spencer Strider, uh, who had had a pretty rough outing his last time out, recovers, goes six last night, gives up just one run, struck out nine, didn't walk anybody. Picked up his eighth win of the season. Ranger Suarez was pretty good for the Phillies, but the bullpen couldn't hold it. Uh, the bullpen ends up giving up uh, three runs, and uh, the Braves win that one by a final of 4-2. to two. Uh, Jeff Hoffman uh, was the one who blew the game for the uh, Phillies last night. Uh, surrendered a walk and a single to open up the seventh, and then a, uh, a uh, RBI single for Ronald Acuna Jr., and then another one by Ozzie Albies, the difference in this one. Uh, A.J. Smith-Sawyer will get the start for the Braves today, and Aaron Nola, uh, their uh, ace, will start for the Phillies uh, in that game today. Uh, The Reds do it again. They pick up their 10th straight win. Um, and by the way, they did it in front of damn near 30,000 people. And, you know, I saw this comment yesterday, and it's 100% on the mark. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, you know, one of the reasons that the A's are leaving Oakland and going to Las Vegas is because the fans don't come out to support the team. Well, the Cincinnati Reds have been bad for years. And the Reds' crowds were down. Well, now all of a sudden, the Reds are a relevant team. The Reds are in first place in the National League Central. They have won 10 in a row. And the fans are coming out. So it's not about the fans. The fans will come out if you put a product on the field that is exciting and that people want to watch. The only exception to that might be the Tampa Bay Rays. Because the Rays still draw like crap, even though they're great. Right? They still can't draw a crowd in Tampa. So the fact that the Reds fans are still coming out, you know, takes away that argument that the owners of the, uh, uh, of the A's are trying to peddle about their move. At the end of the day, this was about the A's don't want to spend money. Right? They just don't. And they have continually been at the bottom of the uh, the league in salary. I mean, even last night, look, Tampa is in, has the best record in baseball. They drew less than 20,000 people last night. And that's, you know, that's a decent crowd for them. So, but the uh, Reds do it last night. They beat the Rockies 8-6. to T.J. Friedel with a three-run bomb. Uh, Ellie Dela Cruz, another home run. That rookie is really making a name for himself. And uh, it is the longest winning streak since 2012 for the Reds when that team also won uh, 10 in a row. So uh, Alex Young picks up the win. Uh, he gets it uh, uh, out of the bullpen because the starter didn't go five innings. So uh, he pitches uh, the fifth and uh, picks up the second win of uh, the year for him. And then Diaz picks up his 20th save. Uh, Jorge Alfaro, who was actually a Red Sox farmhand, hit a three-run bomb for the uh, uh, for the Rockies, but it wasn't enough. And the Reds keep it rolling. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Leave you this morning with a little music from Casey Musgraves. It's called Follow Your Arrow. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. <laughs>